what we're going to be doing this morning as we're looking at here at God's Word in Revelation chapter 3 about being held to something. When was the last time, and this is rhetorical, no confession needed out loud, when was the last time you got your tail kicked? Not by your wife, okay? No, let's not share that. When was the last time you got your tail kicked in life, on the sports field, in the office, in a seminar? When's the last time you got a good tongue lashing from your wife because you forgot to rotate the blinker fluid in her car? That's happened to me before. I didn't even know a car had blinker fluid, and I got chewed out for it. When was the last time... When was the last time that you got a good spiritual punch in the gut? I don't know if you've ever gotten a punch in the gut before, but I grew up in a family of three boys. I was the oldest. And so you're probably thinking, well, how in the world do you know what a punch in the gut is like when you are the oldest of three boys in your family? Well, that's because my younger brothers were twins. One of the very earliest memories that I have and pictures that my parents have is when the city came out and was building a storm ditch in our backyard. I was about three years old. My brothers were one, and I was looking over at what my parents said was a frog in the ditch, just like every you know preschool boy does. Just It's part of life. Well, my brothers at one and barely walking saw me there, and they snuck up behind me and pushed me in the ditch. And they've been doing that to me ever since. Uh, so I know what it's like to be able to get punched in the gut as the oldest member of family. Me and my brothers have had wonderful just knockdown drag outs where uh, my mom would just say, stop it, stop it, stop it. My father just says, you know, let them fight it out. Let them fight it out. They'll, they'll work it all out. And when everybody's, you know, bleeding and bruised and everything else, I'll sit down and we'll talk about what we need to, to go forward on that. And the reason that my father would say that sometimes and help my mother understand these things is because sometimes you just got to learn the hard way, don't you? Sometimes you just got to learn the hard way. Sometimes that hard way is experiencing something that we're not prepared for when we get punched in the gut, when we get a cheap shot, or when we think life is all fine and dandy, and then all of a sudden we get brought to reality. That's what this morning is going to be about. So if you are prepared to get spiritually punched in the gut today, amen, brother. But I can probably guess that none of you are prepared to be able to get spiritually punched in the gut. But I'm telling you, it's going to happen this morning. I got punched in the gut preparing for this when I found out from John Mark I was teaching at 1 o'clock this morning. Uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't find out that. I found out, you know, many days ago because he's at uh, the Right Now Media Conference today. He's got an early meeting, going to be teaching uh, some uh, early morning seminars at that conference that's happening over in uh, Dallas County or Denton County today. But one of the things that I had to come to grips with as I was studying and preparing for, for today is where I am in my relationship with God and where I am with him as it plays out in today's world. Very practical application of what we're going to be getting into today in Revelation chapter 3. So let's pray, and then we are going to get into the church at Laodicea, and we're going to see how in the world is this a spiritual punch in the gut for us today. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you how it applies to us today, just like it applied to the very first readers of it. Father, we thank you for the timeless principles, for the things that we can learn that can help us be more like you. Fathers, we study today the words that Jesus had for the church at Laodicea. May we take these very uh, seriously. May we take these very personally, because these are things that uh, we struggle with today in the church and in our own spiritual lives. Father, I pray as we encounter you today, as we learn about your word and what it means to live more uh, in relationship with you and more dependent on you each and every day, I pray 
that uh, you'll heal our wounds and empower us and pick us up to be able to go away from here changed so that we can be a light in the darkness, so that we can be a change maker in the world for you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, one of the things, if you're in the Ministry Academy here, if you haven't heard about the Ministry Academy, the Ministry Academy is our brand new thing that we're doing here at Cottonwood Creek to be able to give an opportunity to people to be trained deeper in God's Word. Uh, It's a thing that we have now that you can gain not only uh, college credit, but seminary credit toward a master's degree, up to 18 hours of seminary credit that you can learn as a part of being in the Ministry Academy. It's a great thing that we're doing here. And if you're in the Ministry Academy, you're learning right now of something called hermeneutics. That's a big word. I don't know if you've heard of the term hermeneutics before, but what hermeneutics is, is the study of interpretation, the study of interpretation. Hermeneutics is how to correctly be be able to interpret the Bible. There is a correct way of interpretation of the Bible. And one of the things that you learn as you begin to get into this deeper Bible study, this deeper understanding of what it means to, as the Bible says, uh, as teachers, we're to correctly divide the word of truth and that we're held to a higher standard uh, than others. You learn the importance of what it means to know the historical context of what was happening with the first readers of this passage. When we're reading here in Revelation chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 22 today, about the words that Jesus has for the church of Laodicea, you're sitting here wondering, okay, what in the world is the church of Laodicea? And why would Jesus be saying something to this church? Well, as Pastor John Mark has been telling you, part of the way that the book of Revelation begins is that Jesus has some very specific instructions to churches over there in the New Testament world there in the first century. These churches had, in a way, uh, each experienced something of where they had lost their first love or lost a type of witness that they were having their first love with that being Christ and they allowed other things to be able to creep in and cause them not to be completely the church that the Lord wanted them to be so today we come to uh, Revelation uh, 3 verses uh, what did I say verse 14 yeah that's what I said thank you I'm glad you're listening because I'm evidently not listening to myself Um, We come to verse 14, and we learn about this city called Laodicea. One of the things I need to let you know before we go into this is some historical background about Laodicea. First of all, Laodicea was known for a few things. One of the things it was known for is its great wealth. If you know about your world history, and I know all of you are history buffs, love world history. I know all of you do exactly what I do with your children when they were very young. You took them to Civil War battlefields and had them uh, understand the appreciation of the American history. Uh, I did that with my children. To this day, they still have nightmares, daymares, whatever you call it, of being there at Manassas and Bull Run while I put them on top of uh, cannons and took pictures and all this other stuff. But the thing that they have is that they do have an appreciation when you go to a historical place that there are historical things that happen there. When you go and hear the term Laodicea, for those of us today, we don't know a whole lot. But for the first readers to this, Laodicea was a central part of wealth in the ancient world there along the Greek peninsula. It was an ancient city of wealth because it laid on the great Roman road. For those of you who know who the Roman road is, one of the ways that the Rome, uh, city of Rome was able to conquer the known world at that time, uh, or a great part of the known world, is that not only did they have a great army, a great um, uh, battlefield commanders, all this other kind of stuff, but they also knew the importance of infrastructure. Those of you who are in engineering, construction, all that kind of stuff, you have a greater appreciation of infrastructure than others. I have a greater uh, appreciation of infrastructure than the normal person is because my father was a civil engineer. I know way too much about how water falls on a parking lot. I really do. You do not want to know how much uh, I know about how water falls on a parking lot because right now I already see some of you, your eyes are crossing, you're going water falling on a parking lot. 
How can that be such a big deal? Well, it's a really big deal. The Romans understood something about what it means to be able to logistically move an army and its supplies all over its uh, conquered territory, so they built this road. Well, that road not only served as a great way to be able to move its armies around and logistically be be able to keep its empire at peace, but it also allowed commerce, trade, a lot of things from the business world to be able to happen as well. And one of the things that happened is that these cities would pop up that were the center of commerce. And so Laodicea was located along this road and became very, very rich in the Roman world. In fact, it became so rich that a great earthquake hit the area around AD 17. And Laodicea was so rich at that time when the Roman Empire came in and said, hey, we want to help you rebuild your city that's been decimated by an earthquake, Laodicea said, no, we got this. We have enough money. We have enough resources. We can rebuild and stuff on our own. We don't need your Rome. That's how rich they were. They didn't even need the empire's help to be able to rebuild themselves after such a terrible earthquake. Another thing that they were known for in the ancient world is they were known for a medicinal eye salve. And what it was, it was called the uh, Figarium powder. And what it was is that they had this medical school there at, uh, at Laodicea, and they would basically teach people how to use this medicinal herb to be able to cure all different sorts of eye ailments. And so people from all over the ancient world would come to Laodicea to be able to not only receive this medical salve, but they would also take it to their parts of the world to be able to heal people and help people with all these different types of eye conditions. Another thing that Laodicea was known for is they were known for and were very, very popular with this, is they manufactured a glossy black wool cloth that was seen as a very, very... um, a desirable cloth. You know, you can imagine back then the the tradespeople, if they were able to do something that differentiated themselves in the ancient world, just like today, if you're able to take a product and differentiate yourselves from the competition and everything else and create your own market and get people to want it, well, money's going to come your way. Well, that's what they did, and they figured out this way to be able to make this very glossy black cloth that was highly desired among those in the ancient world. It was the, the equivalent of whatever, you know, fashion, you know, trend is going on right now. Skinny jeans or whatever. I don't know if that skinny jeans is, you know, a- applicable to that, but I don't know why, you know, a man wants to go around in tights uh, made of blue jeans. But, hey, that's not me. That's those young people today. If you're here today in skinny blue jeans, God bless you. Uh, I, I, it's not for me, but it could be for you. But... I'm not going to judge you, or am I? Um, yes, that's right. Keep it light. Keep it light. Keep it light. It's early. It's early. It's not. I've, I had to go to sleep and wake up. One of the things that they were known for is they were known for their commerce. Another thing that they were known for is they were in an area that was famous for its hot springs. Heropolis was not very far from Laodicea, and Heropolis there along the Greek peninsula was very similar to how about a century ago people understood Hot Springs, Arkansas. If you've ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas and seen some of the uh, old hot springs there and some of the old bathhouses and some of the history of how what it was like during the turn of the century uh, but and not the turn of the 20 in the 21st century. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about between the 19th and the 20th century from the 1800s to the 1900s of how popular it was and how those hot springs and the medicinal purposes and all those things really helped a lot of people. Well, uh, Laodicea was really close to those uh, hot springs within a few miles of it there in the ancient world. They were also near a place known for very cold, very pure water in Colossae. Colossae was an ancient Greek town that was known for its beautiful cold spring water. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to be able to drink water from uh, a mountain spring, whether in Colorado or uh, uh, a cold uh, spring uh, somewhere, but it is truly amazing. 
Uh, there are places in Oklahoma where I grew up that I would go to with my family or, or with others that had cold springs that you could drink from. And it is absolutely amazing to see this pure water coming out of the ground that's so cold uh, that you can drink and just is so refreshing on a hot day. So they were near Colossae, within a few miles uh, of Colossae. So as you can see, Laodicea was really set up really well to be a great city, to be and have this type of commerce, this type of wealth, this type of self-sufficiency. But Laodicea's natural water source, the Lycus River, was muddy, and it was undrinkable, and it was really... Uh, uh, what, what's the term? Non-potable? Is that how you say it? Potable, potable. I don't speak Greek. Evidently, y'all do. But it was non-potable, non-potable, non-poatable, however you say it. You couldn't drink it because if you drank it, you would get dysentery, uh, which is a fancy word for the runs, okay? Um, I don't know why they don't put that in the Bible, but they don't. Um, but that was the... One thing about Laodicea that kind of stunk about living there is that your water had to be brought in from all these other places. So it was wealthy, had eye salve. It told the empire, we don't need your money. We can totally repair ourselves. And so this is the historical background of what this city is. So as we understand those things and as we read the words, listen to what Christ has to say for the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 14. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Here's what it says. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's what we see in this passage, and I hope you caught some of the things of what Christ did to be able to take the church at Laodicea and give them a spiritual punch in the gut. We're going to look at that here this morning. In verse 14, it starts out by an introduction of the speaker. One of the things that, that we need to make note of here is that where it says in verse 14 about the words of the amen, one of the things that can be confusing sometimes is understanding, again, the language intricacies of why they would say the words of the amen. Well, what that is, is that is a common Old Testament term there that is referred to God. And so the amen there is more of like a, a way to be able to say, you probably heard the, the Hebrew word Elohim. You've probably heard of the Hebrew word Adonai. All of these things were different words to be able to refer to God. So when you see there the words of the um, amen, that's a, a way of saying the words of the Lord. And then some will look at this and they will say, well, there's the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Well, Will, does that mean that Christ was created? Well, Will, isn't this a contradiction in the Bible? In this a contradiction, the Bible's contradicting itself. It's saying that Jesus is talking about here about how he is the beginning of God's creation. Well, one of the things that you have to know is you have to know, again, a little thing about the understanding to the first readers. 
In English, I don't know if you know this, but our English language is very shallow. It is. We're shallow people. It's okay to admit that. And our language does not completely and totally encapsulate the meaning of words, okay? We have words that mean, you know, different things, and it's the same word, and you know from context what that English word means. Well, here, the beginning here in Greek uh, is referring to the source and the origin. It does not mean that Christ was created. It's saying here, essentially, that the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the source of God's creation, that means that he was there and that as we know from John 1 and other passages in the Bible is that the word that Jesus was part of God's creative act in the world. And so this, in fact, is not contradictory to those things. And in fact, it supports that Jesus was involved in creation as the source of creation, not one who is created. And so it's important that we understand these distinctions and that we see these things that even though it looks like this might be a contradiction, it's not. It's only a contradiction because our English language is so shallow. And to keep the Bible from being something that we have to literally put it on our back and, and carry around like you would carry around a mainframe computer from the 1960s, those of you who know about mainframe computers and Fortran and cards and how you would have to you know, type out the cards and put the cards in the, in the computer and how a small personal computer for an office was as big as this room. Uh, that's how big, basically, in my opinion, that the Bible would have to be if the English language was to incorporate all the meaning that was in the original Greek and Hebrew. So doesn't that make you glad that the Lord didn't use English to be able to give his words to in the, in the first uh, readers? Knowing some of these things about the language can help us so much with the interpretation. That's why in hermeneutics, the study of the interpretation of the Bible that's why understanding and learning how to research the original languages is so important. So, as we're moving on here to the next verse, we see something about the church at Laodicea. We see that they're a foolish church. The Laodicean church was a foolish church. And in verses 15 and 16 here, men, we see that this foolish church in Laodicea has lost its, youth, its usefulness. It's lost its usefulness. Look there what it says. Verse 15, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of your mouth. First thing that we see here in verse 15 is that Jesus knows the works of the church. He knows the works of what the people have done there at the church of Laodicea. Jesus says, I know your works. The Lord knows what we've done. He does. He sees us and knows us as we are, not the facade that we're trying to be. Right now, I'm trying to put on a facade that I am awake and happy to be here. Inside, I'm dying. You're supposed to wake up after the sun, you know, comes up, not go to bed after the sun goes down and wake up before the sun comes up. That's just foreign to me. That's a little bit about what's going on on the, on the, on the inside of me right now. Another thing that's going on, on the inside of me that the Lord knows is that table over there to me is a huge temptation to me right now. That's why I'm having zero-calorie water with electrolytes, vitamin-infused, uh, and not a kolache or a donut. And that's because of the change the Lord has been doing in my life over this past year. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that as, as we get more into it. But we can't fool Jesus. He knows our work. So if you think that you've got every, everybody fooled about how you're living your Christian life, know that Jesus knows who you are. Gut punch, number one. You can't hide from Christ. Number two here, Christ also sees our uselessness. He also sees our uselessness there in verse 15. As we were just talking about, water in its natural state there in Laodicea was bad. So what they had to do is water, no matter how it came into Laodicea, had to come via the ancient Roman aqueducts. 
either from Heropolis, which is about, you know, five, eight miles away. And remember, Heropolis is H, which is hot springs, okay? Or it had to come from Colossae, which is about another five to eight miles away, where the cold Colossae, cold, that's how I remember it, cold water had to come in via aqueduct. Believe it or not, the aqueducts did not have insulation back then. And so when you're bringing hot water from Heropolis in the Laodicea, or you're bringing cold water from Colossae into Laodicea, after a series of miles, guess what happens to that water as it arrives in Laodicea? It's lukewarm. This beautiful, rich place of Laodicea, and yet the very drinking water that they had was stale and tepid. Hmm. That's why knowing historical context brings in a whole brand new meaning. Many people have falsely interpreted these verses saying that, well, Jesus wishes that you were either hot or cold spiritually. Begs the question, all right? So show me where Jesus says elsewhere that he wishes that people were cold spiritually. Show me in Scripture. Show me. What about all those passages that says that the Lord desires none to perish, but all to be saved? Hmm. So, through biblical interpretation and also allowing Scripture to help us interpret Scripture and help us understand that God is not the author of confusion, but a God of order, of reason, we have to look at its original historical context. So now that we're seeing with what we know about the ancient city of Laodicea and what Christ is saying to them in this time and place, he is using something that is common to every man who's there in that church because they know how terrible their drinking water is. Kind of reminds you of Lake Levon, doesn't it? I don't know if you've lived in a place before where they've had well water exclusively. It's where I grew up in Oklahoma. It was all well water. And it was I didn't know how good we had it up there. I'll tell you, that pure, cold well water coming in, even in on a, on a hot day there in Oklahoma where I grew up, I, I just I thought all water was cold, you know, coming out. I had no idea uh, about that. But the Laodiceans knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. Because can you imagine on a day that was cold in Laodicea, you were sitting there and you wished that you could have some hot tea or something hot to be able to drink, to be able to take that chill off your bones. Or in that day that was so hot and the road was dusty and you're having to go on and all you just want is something cold. But all you get in Laodicea from the aqueducts that come in is this stale, tepid water. Laodiceans knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. It makes me wonder if he was to describe us as Cottonwood Creek, if he was to describe you, if he was to describe me and my involvement in Cottonwood Creek and Cottonwood Creek's involvement in the world, what common things in our culture would he use to get our attention? Would he bring to attention to us about Lake Levon and how when the, when the lake turns over and how it has this smell and, the, and this detestableness to it and we still have to use it? Would he use, would Christ use that in talking with Cottonwood Creek about how we can become sometimes? And our witness in the world, or how we as men lead out in our church? Would he say to us, Cottonwood Creek, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but instead you are like Lake Levon turning over, and I want to spit you out of my mouth. 
gut punch. Told you it was getting serious here this morning. We're going to get to that. That's right. We're going to keep it light this morning. No, absolutely not. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to get our attention. As Jesus says, I can't spit you out of my mouths. Uh, that I want to spit you out of my mouth there in verse 16. I, I want to share something with you here. Again, I can't believe it is 20 to 7, and I'm about to speak about the second law of thermodynamics. Huh. The second law of thermodynamics states what? Anyone? Exactly. Basically, what it is is that if... And this is kind of the application in the second law of thermodynamics. If you have a closed system, a system that's closed off from everything else, over a period of time, what will happen is, is it will moderate itself. Okay? Second law of thermodynamics. Okay? So think about that now. Apply it to why does a waitress at a restaurant, if you've ordered hot coffee or tea, or if you ordered ice water, why are they constantly coming to the table to refresh your ice water or to refresh your coffee? Because it's a second law of thermodynamics. Your ice water is a closed system. Your cup of coffee is a closed system. Nothing else is interacting with it. It's there within that closed cup. If there's nothing there to agitate it, hello, there's nothing there from the outside to keep it moving, to keep it going, then its state will moderate. Moderate means what was cold will warm up, what is hot will turn cool. So when the waitress comes up, she's applying the second law of thermodynamics, putting in a little bit, just a little bit of hot coffee into your coffee cup that's kind of gotten a little stale, it'll warm it right back up. That's exactly right. The wonderful thing about a Yeti, though, is that we think we have cheated science. All it does is delay the inevitable. So, as we're reading this here, And understanding the law, the second law of thermodynamics and about becoming lukewarm and how Jesus wants to spit it out of our mouth, think about that for a second because we're going to come back to it. Another thing that this foolish church in Laodicea has lost, it's lost its values, it's lost its protection, and it's lost its vision. It's lost its values, it's lost its protection, and it's lost its vision. Look there in verses 17 and 18, here's what it says. It says, for I say, I, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The church of Laodicea had lost its values. Why? The church and the people had a false wealth and a false sense of self-sufficiency. The wealth of Collin County. Another gut punch. Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, you think you're all that. You think you are so self-sufficient. You think you don't need me. Does that apply to us today? Kidney punch. 
Where are we as a church? Where are we as men? Where are we as leaders? You've been having a good year at the office. You've been having a good year with the finances. Been having a good year with your portfolio. Did you have a good weekend at Windstar or Choctaw and not let anybody know about it? Win a little bit on the lottery? I mean, I don't know. Doing better than you've never done before? What does that do and what can it do? It can creep into our lives from the physical to the spiritual, making us feel all good about ourselves and how we don't need help because we're self-sufficient. Self-made men. I made this business. I deserve what I've achieved. Bible says pride comes before the fall. What Christ says here is that that the church of Laodicea needs Christ's riches refined by fire. That's the purity. Remember the smelting process that gold goes through. It does not just come out of the ground. It's pure gold. Yeah, you can sell it to everybody. No, you can't do that because what it has to do, it has to have the dross, just like silver and other things. It's got to be heated up. It's got to be boiled so that the impurities can go away and what's left is pure. Sounds a whole lot like the process of sanctification and what it means to be continually filled by Christ and to be able to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives, doesn't it? That's the gold that Jesus offers to us. Not the gold of a bank account, not the gold of a balanced portfolio, not the gold of a successful weekend at Windstar that we don't want to tell anybody about because we're a Baptist deacon. That's the gold that he's talking about. Laodicean church had a sense of false richness. Do we have a church? Do we have a church? Do we are we a people that has a sense of false wealth? Do you have a sense of false wealth in your life today? Told you all this was going to hurt. Church has also lost its protection. Not only had the church and Laodicea lost its values, but it's also had lost its protection. The church and the people here believed that they were clothed and protected. Why? What is Christ doing? He is reminding them about the great clothes and the cloth that they have there in the city that everybody loves and wants. And they put on these clothes and everybody goes, Oh my goodness, I want the latest fashion. You Laodiceans think you have it all together and you do in the fashion world. And the Laodiceans were just taking advantage of that. Look at us. We're the best clothed. We're the best looking. We're fashionable. As the kids say, we're hip. Ow, that hurt. That's a no hip thing. I'm 45 years old. I've got all this titanium here. I can't do that anymore. Man, that hurts. Um, I don't know why I do that to myself sometimes. I'm that middle, new middle age guy. Some of you who are past middle age laugh at those of us who get into middle age and start discovering some of these things. Yeah, I'm at that right now. So, yeah, I know you're laughing at me because I'm, you know, early middle age and do these things. But I'm telling you, one of the things that we can forget is we can forget that if we choose to be self-sufficient and choose to clothe ourselves in our own achievements, in our own ideas, that were truly naked. The Odysseans thought they were clothed, but really, they were the epitome of the story, the emperor's new clothes. Y'all know all that story about the emperor's new clothes, classic tale in literature, about how all of a sudden there was this very, very conny kind of a tailor that said, Emperor, I'm going to make for you the grandest clothes for this parade. And they gave the emperor the clothes and they made it such a big deal but really what it was is it was nothing it was absolutely nothing and so they had the emperor get completely and totally naked 
And he would say, oh, look at these clothes. And they would put it on. And the emperor, not wanting to think or anyone to think that he was someone who couldn't see these beautiful clothes, he put on the facade and said, oh, yes, these clothes are beautiful. Look, everybody, I'm the emperor. Don't you think these clothes are beautiful? Oh, yes, emperor. You know, full of yes, men. Those clothes are beautiful. So the emperor went out into the grand parade to be able to show everybody, look at my new clothes. And he was in the parade, but naked. But yet a little child said, look at him. He doesn't have any clothes on. Christ is like that little child pointing out to the Laodiceans. You're really naked. And all your wealth and all your self-sufficiency, you think you're clothed, you think you're protected when you're absolutely nothing. Kind of reminds us of the need, again, to be continually filled with the Spirit and have on our armor of God as Christians that Ephesians 6 talks about. You know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, feet with the readiness, shoes of the gospel, belt of truth, with the sword of the Spirit. Those are Christ's clothes. Are we more concerned about clothing ourselves and our own protection and what we can provide for ourselves? But the very thing that can protect our souls and help us live a victorious Christian life is what we want to neglect. Another kidney punch. Who are you trusting for your protection today? Who are you trusting in church of Laodicea also lost its vision. The church believed that they saw their path clearly, and they didn't need any medicine for their eyes. But again, what is Christ doing? Things common to this church culture in this time and place to point out to them that they're really blind. The church had lost its vision. It didn't know where it was going. How do we know where we're supposed to be going as Christians? How are we supposed to know the path that we're supposed to be on? Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I will hide my wor- your words in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The church in Laodicea lost its focus on Scripture. How can they know where to go if they don't know where to go? How can you know where you're going? How can you know how you're leading your families, leading your wife, leading your children, if you don't even know where you're going? Another gut punch. We got to be people, we got to be men of God's word so that we can see and know where we're going. And finally, As we wrap up here this morning, we've seen that the Laodiceans were a church that had lost its youthfulness. I mean, that has lost its usefulness. It was a church that had lost its values, its protection, and its vision. And it was also a church that did have hope and could change. Look there in verses 19 through 22 as we wrap up. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What we see here is that Christ cares for the foolish church. Christ cares for the type of situation that the Laodicean church is found in. He loves them. He loves those who are living in rebellion. Against him. He loves those who have lost their love and their passion for Christ and for his word and for the things of God. And because of that love, he wants them to be what he's called them to be. So, what does he do? The Bible tells us there that he reproves. It means he reprimands. Verbal instruction, the word of truth, to let us know how we need to be living in right relationship with him. And secondly, he disciplines. Sometimes that can be punishment. Sometimes it can be an exercise of some 
standpoint to help us remember the consequences of our decisions of what it means to be able to do things our way. If you're experiencing some things in your life that you may be thinking right now, why are all these things happening to me or, or why are things having, why am I having a tough time? One of the first things that I've learned to do is has learned to look inward. God, are you, what are you trying to teach me? Because as pastor's been talking about on Sunday mornings, bad things do happen to good people. Bad things do happen to Christians. Christians who are following the Lord, serving the Lord, thinking they had it all together, can end up in near-death car accidents like I did 10 years ago, doing work for the church and end up being life-flighted to Parkland and put back together with titanium and had to change every single aspect of my life and surrender it over to the Lord. Including this last one, I had to surrender over to him back in January of a part of my life that I didn't want to change and I wanted to hold on to. But through that spiritual transformation, physical transformation happened, and the Lord has been using that as a, as a point of remembrance in my life this year as he's been doing all these great miracles in my life spiritually but also physically. And what I want to tell you this morning is What in your life is not surrendered completely and totally to the Lord? Look inward. Are you completely and totally surrendered? If if you are and you're still experiencing things in your life that you're wondering what's going on, use that as an opportunity for the Lord to teach you something. Don't think you've arrived. Don't think you, you earn certain things because we earn and have diddly without Christ. That's what this message to the Laodiceans were about. You are nothing without me. Nothing. Another gut punch. So he calls for true faith and repentance. There in verse, verse 19 and 20. Why does he do this? And what does he say? He says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous means realize it and then realize this is something you've got to do. You need to repent. You need to turn from your way of doing things and turn to Christ and his way. That's what it means to repent. Turn from going one way and turn and go the other way. What's the solution to the church in Laodicea? Stop doing things your way as a church. Do things Christ's way. Great word for us today as a church. Great word for us today as men and as Christians, if we think we've got it all together, that's the self-sufficiency of the Laodicean church. We need to turn and repent for that and refocus our efforts and our lives to Christ. Verse 20, Christ also pleads, I stand at the door and knock. It's a great illustration for what it means to be able to ask Christ and commit our lives to Christ. But that's not the original meaning of this verse and to the first Christians. I stand at the door and knock. What is he standing at the door of the knock and knocking at? Is it to uh, our heart as people? Yes, that's, that's an application. But he's standing at the door of the church, knocking and saying, why don't you let me in? Why do you think you as a body of believers think you're so self-sufficient? You have completely and totally shoved me out. Sounds like a church in need of a revival, doesn't it? If you've committed your life to Christ, have you shut Christ out of your life? Are you so self-sufficient, so self-determined, so self-self-self? Christ could be standing and saying, why don't you let me in? I want you to experience life to its best, to its fullest. But you're naked, you're blind, you're poor. 
can't be like the church at Laodicea, man. Because of verse 20 and 21 says, Christ has his riches and his kingdom for us to experience. If we would just let him in. As we go away from here today, I want you to hear what Jesus has said in verse 22 as he calls us to, as he called the church in Laodicea. You've heard what Jesus has said. Now, how will you respond? Powerful message, the church of Laodicea and what they heard. Powerful message for us, the church here in Collin County, to hear today too. You've heard these words. Now, how are you going to respond to it today? My prayer for each and every one of you, the prayer that I have been praying for myself and for my family, is, Lord, help me to value the things that you value. Help me to see that I need you more than anything else, despite having a house, a car, a job, thinking that I've provided all this for myself when I'm in fact nothing without Christ and his riches that he gives us. If you hear Christ knocking in your life as a Christian today because you've shut him out because you used to follow him, Open the door and let him back in. Allow him to lead your life. He who has ears, let him hear. Now it's up to us to go from here after having an encounter with the Lord to be changed by it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Father, these were tough words to hear today. A lot of spiritual gut punches. But Father, I pray that you help us go from here changed dependent upon you for our protection, for our value, for our very sustenance. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be able to be useful to you in the kingdom. Father, we know you want to use us. Help us to be able to have spiritual eyes, to minister to those in our families, in the community, those we come in contact with in the office, at lunch, at the ball games, watching kids or grandkids. Father, help us to look at people the way that you look at them. Help us to depend on you. Help us to take these gut punches and this encouragement and live change because of it. Christ's words are so powerful here, Lord. Help us to be a church as well. As its doors open to you. And realizes this dependence upon you because without you, we are nothing. Lord, help us to confess our need for you. Help us to go away from here and live that abundant, victorious life in right relationship with you, doing things your way instead of our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.